Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. One, two, sexy pants. The pants, SpongeBob SquarePants. All right, yeah, the pants are on. Um, <laughs> you know, the week has started, <laughs> and privacy please is back. As Cam Rooney records from about the uh, shoulders up, so <laughs> you don't really know. That, I can go actually. a little lower if you want to go. No, oh, we're good. We're good. Oh no. No. All right, all right. Privacy please. <laughs> privacy indeed. Indeed. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we got a special show for you. Um, before we kick things off though, and, and bring our guest in, Gabe, you doing good, man. You had, a, you had a good weekend. I'm decent. I actually, I actually went camping this weekend. Not a thing I'm, uh, I'm, I'm used to doing, you know, P- pretending that you are homeless is, is an exclusively, you know, wealthy person activity to, to, to yeah. Go for. Yeah. It was uh, no complaints. It's a strange things that humans do nowadays with right. the technology that we have. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it wasn't even like glamping. It was like, well, almost glamping. Was it kind of like, yay, this is fun? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I do enjoy it from time to time. I do. I grew up camping. I I wouldn't mind doing that again. But it seems like I'd have to buy so much different stuff just to go enjoy it, I guess. You have to get tents. You have to get sleeping bags if you don't have all that stuff. I mean, the tent would probably, like, bare bones, get a tent, and then use whatever else you have at home. Right, like yeah, pillows, blankets, like that's that's bare that's bones. Fair. You can you can definitely pull it off that way, and you're not too far from a lot of really awesome campgrounds too. That's true. I happen to prefer Fort Desoto, which is a little bit further from you. Okay, I'll have to check got, it out. You've got campgrounds right on the Tampa Bay, right? Like you can walk from your. Camp- Don't be telling people where we are. Right, right. <laughs> Just twenty kidding. feet, twenty feet. To we the haven't water. said it all already. We haven't said, yeah. Okay, so more, camping, more camping. How about We're you? Gonna have, that's going to be one of the questions for Tom. So let's bring our guest in. His name is Tom Kemp. He's an author, knows a lot about privacy. Title of his book is "Containing Big Tech." We'll dive into it. it's how to protect our civil rights, economy, and democracy. So let's bring in Tom right now. Surprise, surprise him. Let's jump it right in. There he is. Mr. Camp. Oh, hey, how are you? Good. We try to catch people right off guard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, what's going on here? So, How you doing, Tom? I was, I'm doing great. How's everyone doing? So, We are well. Good. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Good to see you. Good to yeah, happy Monday to you as well. So the, the fall, where, where are you guys calling from? The southeast. We are in. We were in fact. We were just discussing camping this time of year in the southeast. We are. <laughs> we're both in the Tampa, Saint Petersburg region. How about yourself? Okay, I'm in the uh, Bay Area, the uh, Palo Alto, Mendel Park area near Stanford. So, the other Bay. We like to call ours the Bay Area too. It's the Tampa. Yeah, exactly. Bay area. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I hear. So, uh, the OG yeah. Bay Area. Nice. Yeah. Do you guys actually have like? like uh, uh seasons or it's this kind of like this kind of a continuation 
So. No, for example, this year we 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 had an extended part of one of our regular seasons. It was called mm-hmm. the extra hot as hell season. So that <laughs> we had. I mean, it's usually just like hot or yeah. decent. It's not bad. It's not like yeah. San Diego all year round. But it's so it's yeah. And for what it's worth, hot for us is like you know it was hot. It was it was miserable, but. Man, yeah, it was, it was, it was snake, no Texas. Snake's ass hot, right? So yes, uh, that's yes, hot, so. yes. But but it it feels hot. wonderful when we get some co- like cooler evenings. It's very yeah. strange. Florida will be you know ninety degrees, and then when it's in the winter, sometimes it'll drop to sixties at night, mm-hmm. and it's it's wonderful. So it, you can feel the difference in yeah. the humidity. It's crazy. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, we're we're starting to get a little. Uh, I mean, we don't really have a like a nice fall up in Northern California here. Uh, but the leaves are definitely uh, dropping, you know, and uh, anyway, so yeah, kind of, it's, it's tough, like making that transition, at least here. Cause we, we, we have very nice summers. It's not humid and it's nice and warm and it's just kind of hard. And we get a little summers. kind of, kind of, kind of cold, little for us. And uh, anyway, so enough about the weather. So yeah, <laughs> enough about the weather, enough about the weather, enough about the weather. But look, so we, where we like to start is about you and mm-hmm. man, do I have all kinds of questions, but okay. But, but we'll make this easy. We, we start, we start this journey with all of our guests, the way we do everyone. Tell us about okay. yourself. Tell mm-hmm. us about yourself. Okay. Am I being officially being recorded right now? You are live, my friend. There is. I'm live. Not, I didn't even you, know that. I didn't. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Had I known that, I would not have sworn. So <laughs> I can. Uh, I can take I, it out. I can take well, it out. Well, okay. I was actually just going to warn Tom of one more, one more oh, production yeah, yeah. note, which is we don't usually do a lot of post editing, and that's somewhat in- <laughs> not with <Okay>. guests. <laughs> Not with guests usually. We try to keep oh, it as authentic as oh, possible. Oh boy! I, I thought we were just. Anyways, I thought we were just <laughs> jibber jabbering here. But okay, now I got to put my. All right, here we go. There we go. Uh, so hey, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mr. Tom Kent. Here's yes. Tom. Uh, hey, first of all, thanks for having me on. And for Absolutely. people that don't know me, which is the vast majority of people in this world, uh, I am a Silicon Valley-based entrepreneur, investor, and policy advisor, and. Most recently, I was founder and CEO of a company called Centrify, which was a cybersecurity company, over 100 million. And uh, and that company was acquired. And most recently, I've been serving as a technology policy advisor for political campaigns and advocacy groups. And I led the marketing efforts in 2020 for the California Privacy Rights Act, which actually was a ballot initiative called Prop 24. And then most recently, I worked on a Senate bill in Texas to give Texas a data broker registry law, and then also uh, helped uh, put together and uh, advised and collaborated on a bill called the California Delete Act of 2023, uh, which maybe we'll want to talk a little bit about later. And then taking all the Silicon Valley experience that I have with my policy work, I wrote a book called containing big tech that I hope uh, delivers for readers a clear path forward to rein in online surveillance, AI, and, and tech monopoly. So that, that's my background right there. Right on. There's so much there to dive into. First and foremost, um, feel no ways whatsoever about shamelessly plugging the book. I think you should plug it some, some more. Um, I say that because I've seen it come up in conversations on on Hacker News, which you're probably familiar with, right? Like the YC the, the, the YC forum boards, but I don't know how much of yeah. our listeners are or aren't. Um, I've seen a lot of folks raving about it there. So it's been on my short list 
of books to okay. read. Um, but FYI, I have not had an opportunity to, to to dig into it. I think the first question I have is why write the book? Like yeah, no one writes so books to I, get rich. So why write the book? That is definitely, <laughs> um, uh, th- 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 there is, that is absolutely correct. So if you try to make money, it's like in uh, up in the wine country, it's like, there's a saying is, you know, how do you make a small fortune in the wine business? And the answer is you start with a large fortune. There um, it is. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of, if you want to make a small fortune in publishing books, you start with a large fortune. But uh, with this one, I, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a simple and comprehensive look at the issues concerning big tech that you could give your uncle Larry or your average politician and they could read it and say, aha, I get it you know, without having to hand them 500 articles on privacy and what's GDPR and all that stuff. And, and so uh, I just wanted to kind of like walk people through what are the issues um, and actually say that, you know, there's actually some solutions uh, associated with digital surveillance. I wanted to educate people on a bunch of new things that are happening, such as AI, uh, the whole rise of TikTok, um, et cetera. So I just kind of wanted to connect all the dots and have people see, you know, what's going on with the largest tech providers? What are they doing with AI? What's this whole online behavioral advertising? Is it increasingly being weaponized in a post-row world? And then I also wanted to take a look at the impact of the fact that they've become large monopolies. And and that actually exasperates some of the problems that we have with privacy and cybersecurity mm-hmm. because sometimes they've become kind of like too big to care, right, um, in, in doing these things. And they're certainly the, the most powerful companies the world's ever seen. Um, and so I think kind of a fresh look at looking at these uh, large tech companies vis-a-vis issues that we deal with, like privacy, you know, needs to happen. That's awesome. I, and I appreciate the first part of that answer, namely such that one does not have to go out and read a, you know, the 99 billion policy documents out there, the least of which is many of those are not written in plain English. They're just not. Um, yeah. I speak to a lot of folks on a regular basis who give me varying opinions and what they think they have to do from a technology perspective. And, and I try not to, to just, you know, tell them, well, you're wrong, right? Like you've got to, yeah. you've got to redirect, you've got to walk them back to where they went wrong in, in, in that road. So where have we, as a society, I'm just going to use America to start with. Like, where yeah. have we, where have we started to go wrong on that privacy journey? Right, like, HIPAA dates all the way back to '95, and I think FERPA prior to that. So it's yeah. not like privacy wasn't a thing that we thought about legislatively. Where did we go wrong? Yeah, I think where we've gone wrong is that we. Have accept- so there was the, the the original business model for a lot of these tech companies was, hey, it's cool. Give me all the information about us and we'll give you these great free services, right? And so yeah. that was the trade-off. And the what that resulted in was the fact that if we shop for red shoes, then for the next month on every platform possible, I got an ad for red shoes, which was a little creepy. But hey, that's the price for getting free email free this, free that, um, et cetera. And in effect, a lot of these platforms have become walled gardens. It's, it's re- really interesting that that Facebook, now Meta, started off like scraping data from MySpace and having interoperability with it. And uh, now that they've become this 
basically monopoly with you know billions of users. If you try to do something similar to Facebook, they'll sue you into oblivion, right? Because it's 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 all proprietary. They don't want people leaving right there. And so where things started going wrong was four or five years ago, where people you know didn't really realize that that this data that's being collected about us can actually be used in a negative way. I think kind of, we, we first saw, for example, that both Google and Meta got dinged by the government because yes, you can write, you can have it so that there's targeted advertising of single women uh, with young babies to sell them diapers, but you could use the same advertising infrastructure to exclude those type of people from rentals or employment, et cetera. So you could mm-hmm. actually start using this data to discriminate against people, right? And then also that it was like, okay, no problems uh, you know, with, with all this data being collected. And oftentimes this data would leak out um, or be used by partners. And we saw the whole Cambridge Analytica thing happening. And then I think it's really finally in the end, it's really come to the forefront where uh, with the Dobbs decision that something that was historically legal is now illegal and the data that's now being collected about us. So I think where we've gone wrong is is that we just kind of accepted the whole behavioral advertising business model with unfettered collection. Um, and we're not keeping up with the fact that there's a lot of sensitive data that's being used. I'm, I'm not calling in my book, I don't call for like no behavioral advertising. I'm just simply saying that there probably should be the ability not to use sensitive personal data the and also not have it for children, for example. So I think that's where we're going wrong is that we still have, a, you know, the largest tech providers have this model, uh, which is highly intrusive. Um, and there's starting, we're starting to see negative connotations uh, associated with it. Have we seen alternative business models survive though? Because I think that's, I think about big tech the way I think about hackers. I being an ethical hacker myself, the path of least resistance is the one one chooses. And hackers also do not change their 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 uh, their modes of operation unless forced to. Because why, right? Like if sending ten thousand emails gets one person to click it, I'm not going to try and find a better way to fish. There's that is the best way to fish. Why have I, I have yet to see a, another business model that has that has come up to challenge that model of give the user free services and in turn monetize their information. Is there any hope that because the profit motive is not going to go away, but is there any hope that there are other business models that can compete with these? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, historically, we've had contextual advertising for forever. Ever. Right. Yeah. You know? um, and that the. And and Google with the AdWords, it was contextual advertising um, that it didn't require personal information. But what a lot of these companies are saying is that, oh, well, we can so better target people by collecting all this uh, th- this information. At some point, you just got to draw a line and say, we shouldn't do this for kids, right? Because it's only going to get worse with AI, right? With the, this data right. being fed into. And we should also draw lines as it relates to sensitive personal information. So what I'm trying to say, look, I'm not proposing like, 
airline safety as it relates to privacy, where, you know, you got a thousand checks that you have to go through before a plane takes off and, and you try to avoid any crashes. I'm, I think I'm, I think in the end, what I'm trying to propose is, is more, you know, car safety where, okay, let's have an airbag. Let's have some speed limits. Um, let's put, ki- let's don't put kids in the front. Let's put kids in the back in a, in a car seat, et cetera. And I think we just need some basic guardrails. And, and the fundamental issue that I just find as it relates to privacy is that privacy purposely has been made too hard for consumers mm-hmm. that it's very, even though there's 12 States that have privacy laws and even with GDPR, it's this thing called cookie fatigue. You're just like cookie, 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 right. And all that stuff. And, and I think what we need to do is, is that we need to kind of look at things from a consumer perspective, look at the ease of use. And, you know, and that's why I'm a big fan of, for example, global privacy control with the global opt out where you just send a signal in terms of what privacy settings you want. That's why I'm, I, I am and was a proponent of the California Delete Act, which is for the data brokers to have a do not call type equivalent right here. So I do think you certainly, you know, should be able to serve an ad um, for someone in a in a zip code about the best, you know, bakery, et cetera. Right. I, but. Do you really need to serve an ad that that with the exact precise geolocation where I'm located, um, and 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 be able to um, and if I'm visiting a medical clinic or a mosque, et cetera, to be able to sell that information? Ooh, that's why I think you know yeah. you you can actually kind of like back things up and say if you want to use location it may not be good to have the the exact precise geolocation that there should be certain types of data that should not be allowed and there should be certain types of people namely kids etc so i think we could do it and 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 it turns out that there have been studies done where they found contextual advertising to be just as effective as this detailed behavioral advertising without the overhead of collecting everything about us the only problem is you can't charge more you can't charge that's right (laughs) that's right they 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 position it as the secret magic sauce yeah. of like, we're going to collect so much information and we're going to have all this extra information. Maybe in the end, we'll figure out what, how we can use it, et cetera. Right. But then that's how they can charge the premium where it, where it turns out that in the vast majority of time that you really don't need all that additional information. And is it really worth the, the, the potential risk associated with it as well? So mm-hmm. my, my, my first thought is, and this is probably obvious, but I feel like this was all planned in terms of making it as confusing as possible for the consumer. I think that was all planned. I mean, I I, I don't I don't think we all disagree on that. Um, which it always makes me question because, like Gabe, you were talking about earlier, how how long ago this all started. Um, it makes you think how much of this was planned how long ago and and is this the direction that they thought it would be yeah. going now that you know i think a lot more and more people like consumers are actually starting to take notice and and start to educate themselves and that that's huge we need to start educating kids yeah. in school like that should be something that should be pressed in school is educating them on privacy because kids are definitely the ones that are getting taken advantage of which is scary i think i hundred yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I thanks, Gabe. I, I 100% agree with you. I think there has actually been a movement towards people wanting more privacy. So when mm-hmm. Apple came out with the app tracking transparency, 
we now have 96% of users actually using it as well, right? People want that. Um, In California, when we put it to the actual voters with Proposition 24, it passed with 56, 57% of the vote. It was 9.3 million people voted yes for more privacy, right? And even just recently with Senate Bill 362, the California Delete Act, that the legislature, 80% of the legislature voted yes on it, right? And then yeah. Governor, uh, Governor Newsom signed it as well. So people want more privacy. The issue is, is that to your point, Cameron, that, that I think a lot of the tech industry has actually, they, they saw what happened with California, with, with CCPA and then CPRA, and then they started writing the actual bills. And so you have kind of weaker sauce state privacy laws like mm-hmm. Virginia. Sorry, people in Virginia. That was actually, <laughs> if you uh, read, you know, like uh, articles, it was basically written by the tech industry. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have stronger bills like California, Colorado, Connecticut, the C, C states. Right. Um, and. The way that you can really tell the difference is the states that offer the global opt-out uh, mechanism, um, GPC, Global Privacy Control, to allow people to send signal. Because that is the way that you make it easy for, mm. for consumers that they can set it one place at the browser on their mobile device and they can say, I don't want you to sell or share my information. And the states that have weaker sauce uh, privacy laws don't allow people to have a global opt-out uh, service to to communicate what their desires as they visit websites, etc. So I do agree with you. I think that it, it kind of the, the confusion uh, of uh, over privacy works to the advantage of the industry, so they can go kind of merrily mm-hmm. about their way. And I think really we just need to keep on pushing. And that, that was one of the reasons I wrote the book containing big tech was to raise awareness and visibility, yeah. and so that people could actually. You know, because a lot of the books that are that are out there on privacy, great books, but they're academic oriented, right? And this was something again that a layperson can read and say, "Oh, I really now understand, you know, what a data broker is and how they right. make money, uh, etc." And so it's just part of the evangelism there. And you know, the book I, I talk about what should be in a federal privacy law, but I also talk about the steps that that consumers can take to reduce their data footprint. Um, and so I also try to make it you know solution oriented as well. Give us one or two of those right now, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. So so I mentioned uh, Apple's app tracking transparency. Um, so I would turn that on because that blocks third party trackers. Google on the <laughs> with the phone, the Android phone of course doesn't have it because their 97% of their revenue is advertising. But if you turn on, uh, if you install DuckDuckGo's uh, browser, you can, they actually have a feature and capability that does something similar that blocks third-party trackers. So immediately on your phone, that reduces your mobile devices, I mean, mobile apps on your devices, communicating your location information to third parties. um, So you cannot be personally be tracked. Um, And then um, on your uh, browser, um, you can download EFF's uh, privacy badger that blocks third-party cookies, right? Again, stopping the the tracking of information. And then there's settings that you can set with with Google to to stop the tracking. It was really interesting that um, Google last year after the Dobbs decision 
came out with a press because the, their internal employees were, were upset that maybe uh, abortion-related information was still going to be collected by Google. So their employees you know, wrote internal emails and letters and all that stuff. And Google announced, said, we're, we're going to, if someone visits a uh, reproductive clinic or has abortion-related searches, we're not going to collect that information. They said that last year. So as part of the book, I said, okay, let's, let's see if that's the case. Turns out they were still collecting the information. And The Guardian wrote an article with my research from my book last November. And then even after that article, they kept on doing it. And then The Washington Post in April and May came out with another article saying that they were still collecting the information as well. So, But there is a way to stop the flow of information. And, uh, and so, yeah, you may not get as personalized ads as before. But if you're a person that's visiting, you have a health condition, that could be used against you. Um, and I've, I've actually, you know, uh, had a relative that had a health condition that I Googled and all of a sudden I saw, started seeing ads for that. And I was like, this is very upsetting that someone, that people know that I was searching for this specific health condition. Um, and then this goes on there as well. So there are steps that people can take to reduce their data footprint out there. But of course, as we all three know, what's really needed in the end is a federal privacy law. It is somewhat frustrating that we have yet to get to one. <clears throat> it is a very uniquely American thing, though, right? Like we have this collection of 50 states that all want to do their own thing, but they yeah. all have to cooperate. And so mm -hmm. <clears throat> if we can switch gears for a moment somewhat, you have you've invested quite a bit. You mentioned you were also an investor and in, in, uh, inventor of technology, but you've invested quite a bit in a lot of privacy organizations. So forget your current investments, but the ones where you were past investors, exits and so forth. Which one was the most exciting to work with and why? Oh, boy. Well, look, I mean, the the the, the prior startup a company called NetIQ. So I was part of the founding team. And that was just an amazing time. We, we founded the company in the 90s, uh, and we were able to go public in July of 99. And we went from like zero to 10 to 40 million in revenue. And that's when you were able to actually go public with, uh, you know, at, at such small scale. So that that was super exciting. That was more in the, the cybersecurity space. Um, and uh, but, you know, that's just a different world. It's so much more difficult now for companies to be able to go public. And we've really had a situation where there's been a dearth of IPOs um, out there and the bar is so high. Um, and that's really kind of causing a lot of problems in that it, it having exits uh, makes it much more difficult for later stage companies to be able to realize you know, uh, and, and monetize uh, the investments that the, the investors have made uh, as mm -hmm. well. So I think it was just super exciting just being about a part of and being a co-founder of a company that was able to go public. So I think that was just such a unique, you know, experience to have right there. And it, it was super exciting. And then after the company went public, then 9-11 happened. There was the economic downturn. And no, there was nothing worse than being an executive at a public company when when the, the world was crashing as well. So uh, so you get the highest of highs and you get the lowest of lows. But, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 great being part being an entrepreneur uh, and being part of companies that are stepping up and, and trying to make a difference. I am intimately familiar with NetIQ. I've I've been in the the infosec business in 26 years, and I spent most of that in the Northeast, actually in in the New York area. So I was I was around when a lot of that was was happening. Um, 
I don't think your your path and I had crossed certainly at all back then, but not the one I would have expected you to pick. But NetIQ, I thought, was a hell of an interesting um, organization and great technology. So let me let me flip the question, and and I don't want you to, to play favorites or leave anyone out. But of the folks that you're currently working with, is there is there any technology or or mission that you want to share with others just look and again not, not, not to say that the others aren't equally as important but like w- which one stands out to you is like th- this is the one that that uh in the context of this conversation i should talk about their mission yeah i mean look i'm uh, i'm a small angel investor so i write relatively small checks just like maybe you you give some money to a, a friend of yours to start up, you know, in a coffee shop or, or whatever. I, I, I do the same thing as well. So, um, and I, I love all the, the small investments that I've made equally well, but, uh, you know, there are, there are a few that are really just doing quite well. Um, and, uh, I, I'm really intrigued by one of which is a company called holistic AI and they do AI risk management governance. Um, and, what I see is is that you know we have the AI Act coming down the road in Europe, um, and there's been some initial legislation in New York City to govern the use of AI for hiring and employment. And so I think there's going to be more uh, regulation associated with AI coming down the pipeline. You know, I think most of the the initiatives in the U.S. are more HR related in terms of the use of hiring or uh, management of the workforce. But I think we do have a big issue, uh, potential big issue out there in terms of AI introducing bias, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it's the data that's being fed in. And that's one of the concerns I bring up in the book is that increasingly more and more of our personal data is being fed into the AI blender. Um, and, you know, is this AI system, you know, does it introduce risk uh, in terms of life decisions, hiring, employment, loans, things of that nature as well? So I think that there's a lot of stuff and I see a lot of activity uh, here in uh, the Silicon Valley area, people thinking about like, what can we do to make AI safer, right? And reduce right. the risk associated with it. Because you know clearly AI can be used uh, from a, uh, you know, most AIs being you do, being used in a quite positive manner, like on the medical and car safety, things of that nature. So I'm very pro AI, and uh, but I think that there is the chance that it can be used for exploitive reasons, uh, deep fakes, but also can introduce bias based on the data being fed into it or the algorithms that are being built that actually can impact people's lives. Um, and I think it, having a s- set of software that can help assess that is very beneficial um, you know, to society. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, unless you guys can hear my cat yelling in the background. We can. We can. <laughs> That's cool. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until, until he walks away. Gosh. It's perfectly okay. He makes an appearance every, every third episode. <laughs> yeah, so it's people are, it's all yeah. right. I, my, people my, are expecting my, the cat for they are. Things, my, so. uh, maybe they are. Why, yeah. You're right. You're that's right. That's why they're, that's why they're listening. That's <laughs> why they're here. Come that's on. why they're here. Yeah. Tom, let's, Let's take it back even further. I'm fascinated about where everyone comes from in terms of like when you were a kid, you probably weren't thinking like, oh, I'm going to write a book about data privacy. You know what I mean? Like what, where did that, where did you, I don't know, where did you click in the terms of being passionate about what you're passionate about today? What led you to this, this journey that you're on right now? 
Yeah, What's it was the probably Batman more origin story. Batman, or, <laughs> Batman. Yeah. Actually, it, it wasn't like, you know, I was something happened as a kid and I saw someone get killed or anything like that. So and I was like, I got to do this. No, sorry. It wasn't. In a it dark wasn't alley, someone's, someone's PII got stolen. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, at three years old, I was going to have. I was going to get back. No, it was really what happened was, was that when I was CEO of Centrify, the, the last company and co-founded that company, cybersecurity company, and we actually grew it to over 100 million. We had about 2000 customers, half the global 50. And we were in, got involved and sold our software and people were trying to make themselves more secure. But oftentimes they would buy as a reaction to them being hacked. Right. And when we started or when I started seeing like the size and scope of the, the amount and the type of data and the amount of data being collected, I was like, holy crap. Right. You know? And so I was kind of had like a front row seat to kind of seeing the car crash. Now, obviously right. cybersecurity is about protecting data. And a lot of the data is not PII. You can cybersecurity protects intellectual property, source code, trade secrets, customer information. There's a lot of, you know, data that you need to protect from a cybersecurity. And as we know, privacy is more about the governance of what you can do with personal information, uh, personal data, et cetera. Right. But it quickly came, it really was like, oh my God, I cannot believe all this data being collected. And really it got to the point where I was like, you know, consumers have no right, if, if someone has our data, consumers have no rights. Right. Um, and there's no guardrails in terms of stopping what people are doing. And like the and also having a cybersecurity background, it drove me crazy to see companies saying, please give us your cell phone number for multi-factor authentication. You know, <laughs> but then but then they would take it and then they would turn around and like, oh, look at this. We got a million people's cell phones and they would walk it over to the uh, marketing department. Right. And start using it. In fact, ironically. Facebook explicitly was told that they can't do that in their first um, uh, agreement that they had with the FTC. And then when they got dinged $5 billion, it turns out they were actually explicitly doing that using the cell phones uh, that was were, they told the consumers that they would use it for two-factor authentication. They were actually using it for other things as well. So that's the whole purpose limitation, blah, 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 blah. $5 million, so, that's just like – What's that? Five billion. Yeah, that's or nothing. Five, it's like it's still nothing yes. to them. Five billion, whatever. Yeah. So the so my I don't know. It was like, oh, my God, um, look at this data. Look how this data is being used that we have no rights. And I think we're, we're very well aware that in the U.S. Constitution, the word privacy does not show up. Right. Um, and so that's why it was like, you know, this is not going to play out well that if we st continuously allow kind of the unfettered collection and use of our most sensitive information and we need to start putting some guardrails and so after centrify was acquired um i then became a full-time volunteer in 2020 on this uh, prop 24 the cpra because i i just felt that we just need more privacy and and since then i've been kind of you know, raising that flag right there. And oftentimes it's just people just don't, at the end of the day, it's, this is more kind of like an educational book um, containing big tech, which is like raise awareness and visibility. Like you don't realize this is how your data is being used and here's what can be done. And, and that's what I was trying to do with the book. 
FYI for the listeners and for yourself, Tom. So we manage a, uh, a, a small GitHub repository that has a lot of, of resources around privacy engineering, including a list of books. I will, I will make sure to add your book to that list. I, I again, ex- expressly appreciate how from your description, it just, gives it more in a layman's level where most of the things on that list actually are fairly technical to the point that you've made. So yeah. love to get that. I, I will add that one to the list before, uh, before the week's out for certain. Thank you, Gabe. Awesome. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the most recent acts that have come out um, and some of the similarities or differences. Uh, are there anything, any, any of that you want to kind of pinpoint or highlight um, some of the most recent ones, I know there was Colorado, Connecticut, um, back in July. Um, obviously, CPRA yeah. was the yeah updated one so in we're, California. We're, so, so we're now at 12 state laws, right? And they have differing levels, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. Obviously, there's been a big move afoot or desire for people to have or for us to have a federal privacy law. Um, and it got pretty close. That was the AAD or AADPA or ADPPA or whatever. I keep on <laughs> too many acronyms. Uh, yeah. So like <laughs> too many, too TMA, too many acronyms right there. <laughs> ADPPA. Yep. Um, and, uh, and then the big bugaboo that it got bogged down last year was the issue of preemption. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, people in California, including myself, um, feel that a federal privacy law should actually not be a ceiling, but should be a floor. And if you have it at a high enough floor that the vast majority of states either don't have a privacy law or below it, that they will raise up to that actual level. This is a very visual podcast. I hope people are actually seeing my hands, <laughs> the floors and ceilings uh, right here. And so really that, that means that maybe there's one or two states that may go in certain areas a little bit above that. And I, I think that's important because uh, – uh, Justice Brandeis said, you know, states are the labs of democracy and, you know, things are moving so fast in the tech area. And so, like, for example, in the area of AI or biometrics, et cetera, you should have the flexibility for states to be able to innovate. Um, but if you set a high enough floor that it will be pretty consistent across the board. And so that. So we're we're going through that wave right now of state privacy laws, and we've gone from one to five to ten. We're now up at twelve, right? The next wave that we're seeing is protecting kids. And so in California, we passed the AADC, the Age Appropriate Design Code, um, and the industry, and that provides design standards uh, to provide kind of more car safety associated with apps being built. For, for kids, the industry immediately sued it, and they've got actually initial uh, injunction against it, um, and that actually has effectively kind of cooled other states from pursuing this as well. So, I, but we'll see what happens with this. But I think kind of the next wave of legislation at the state level, and then at the federal level, you have like COSA, uh, COPA two, or COPA two. I don't know how people like to pronounce it, are, are being proposed as well. And then I think there's a third wave 
uh, that's happening, which is the entities that we don't have a direct relationship with the data brokers, that can we have more regulation? And so I worked with a uh, advocacy group in Texas, and they became the third state to have a data broker registry. And then I also worked uh, with a state senator here in California to come up with a bill that actually provides the ability to globally delete uh, from your data from data brokers as well. So we're kind of seeing multiple waves happening at the state level. The, the biggest wave, of course, is the comprehensive privacy laws. We're up to mm -hmm. 12 of the 50. Then the next wave is protecting kids. The next wave is more on data brokers. And then another wave that's going to occur is that there's a lot of proposals that will be made at the state level regarding AI yep. next year. And none have really got, with the exception of in uh, New York City itself, really nothing's happened, uh, nothing's gotten through, but there will be some state level bills that get passed. Probably more focus, as I said before, on the HR workforce aspect of uh, automated decision making associated with AI. But those are kind of the waves that are happening right now at, at, in the U.S. What do you think the biggest challenge? Sorry, Gabe. What do you think the biggest challenge moving forward? Or do you have any predictions um, on what's going to be when it comes to the AI legislation and what they're trying to do? Do you think, like, what challenges do you think we're going to run into, or? Um, what do you predict is going to happen, you think? Uh, well, I think it's going to be very difficult to come out with something comparable to the AI Act in Europe that basically says, you know, here are like the it's a pyramid, again, very visual podcast of at the very top. It's like the highest risk, the medium risk, et cetera. And if you have high risk associated with AI, then you have to actually submit um, audits uh, of it, um, you know, and you really have to verify that it's not discriminating or can cause uh, even life, you know, health-related uh, issues in terms of decisions being made by by uh, the automated decision making associated with the AI. That would require an agency to be able to kind of be like the equivalent of the FDA with with drug approvals, right? Mm -hmm. Like I approve this algorithm, you know, uh, et cetera. That's going to be very difficult to implement at the state level um, because it requires kind of a large entity and organization. And take into account that even at the FTC, that they have fewer people than we now have in California with the California Privacy Protection Agency. So what I mm -hmm. see with associated with AI, it's going to be, just like what we saw with HIPAA and Graham Leach, it's going to be very uh, industry specific that people are going to pick on uh, healthcare, they're going to pick on HR, et cetera, and they're going to come out with very narrow focused laws associated uh, with uh, those industries right there. And I think it'll be very difficult in the near term to actually get a horizontal comprehensive AI law that does this whole risk management assessment thing. And in the end, it's just going to be basically uh, like taking discrimination laws and saying that you can't discriminate. You, you, before it was humans discriminating. Now you can't have your AI discriminate. Which, of course, is created by humans. It almost feels like <laughs> yeah. we shouldn't have to be that implicit about it, right? It's like, don't discriminate even when using something else as a proxy to do it. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, people will find loopholes or yeah, the way that the laws are written, et cetera, is, you know, it's, it specifically says, you know, the, the way that things are. Or there could be instances where that uh, 
the AI, you know, people, we've gotten to the situation with a lot of AI that people don't even know, like, how the AI gets the results. It just does. You know, it's just like a complete black box uh, there as well. So I, I definitely see, and we saw a couple of proposals in California uh, specific to um, uh, just workforce related AI. Again, and I, I should also specify that oftentimes when people hear us talking about AI, they think of generative AI and the vast majority of AI is more the, the decision-making aspect of it as well. But that being said, there may be some bills that have to do with copyright material and giving people protection uh, as well. And I also believe that our biometrics, our personal data is our copyrighted material associated with me. And I think we also need to potentially see if we need to extend the rules or regulations uh, associated with our personal data in terms of the specifically uh, providing some additional rights that thou shall not use this in generative AI. I mean, so you, that should mm. potentially be an option as well. The healthcare industry is going to fight that one tooth and nail, and we already know it. They are, yeah. they are yeah. keen oh, on oh, using. <laughs> yeah. Although the, H, the thing is that they've already built, uh, they already have a lot of the exemptions at the state law level that basically, you know, they're like, if it's HIPAA or this or that, it's already carved out. So, um, yeah. So unless someone tries to remove the, the exemptions as it relates to AI that they already have in the state level privacy laws that uh, I, I think they're probably pretty well positioned on the healthcare side to continue to get the exemptions as it relates to AI. Excellent. So I uh, I want to be mindful of time also. And so before we get into our final section, we've talked a lot about things that you are already passionate about, but are there any topics we didn't cover you really want to share with the audience? Like the, the thing that when you meet, when you meet, when you run into Gabe at an airport and our flight's <laughs> delayed and we get to chit chatting about something, you, you hold my air for 20 minutes on it. What's, what's that topic? Well, I, I think there's look, we've we've talked about privacy, we've talked about AI, right? And and I think obviously you guys are also need you you evangelize that in your own ways, right? With through your podcast and you talk with corporate companies and I'm obviously uh, uh, what I'm doing is talking with consumers. But there's also another issue um, which I've alluded to earlier, uh, which is that these companies have become incredible monopolies. Look, I, I, I think the big tech companies have done amazing things, incredibly innovative products, et cetera. And I think we all think about a lot of the tech companies as two guys and a dog in a garage, right? And, and in fact, I just literally, I'm a four minute walk from the garage where, from my home, where Google started in someone's garage. I can walk by the garage, I can see it, you know, just like people uh, drive in Palo Alto here, by the original HP garage, right? And so there's a lot of romance associated with these tech companies, but we do have some fundamental problems that they have become big monopolies um, and it actually exasperates the problems and it's causing innovation problems that we're facing here in Silicon Valley. For example, both Apple and Google take 30% for, for app sales, right? That makes it very difficult. Like if you're a startup coming up with an app that you immediately have to pay 30%. Same thing with tra in-app transaction fees. You know, like if you were to go, if you were a, a merchant and you use Visa, you pay one or 2% to process, they, they're taking 30%, right? 
Then you also have the fact that these companies, they provide a marketplace, but they also participate in the marketplace. Um, for example, Amazon, they can sit there and sit back and say, geez, there's a lot of uh, cat beds, which probably uh, Cam needs one for his cat to get some <laughs> proper sleep, right? Uh, yeah. But they can notice which ones are selling and they can come out with the Amazon basic cat bed based on the data that's flowing through their system. Same thing with the app stores as well. And so now you have a situation in which you have kind of no fly zones associated with large digital markets mm -hmm. that people can't compete in. And, um, and I think that because they're not facing competition and they have walled gardens that people can't leave because these apps lack interoperability, that you can be in the Facebook walled garden and you can have, in 2019, there was five or six breaches of hundreds of millions. You could have Cambridge Analytica, you can have your data continuously being mined, but people won't leave unless there's an en masse departure there as well. And so I really think that we need to do a lot. If you really want to solve some of these issues with privacy, cybersecurity, and AI, that there needs to be more competitive pressure put on the tech companies. And luckily, we now have some trials happening. So we have the Google, uh, US versus Google trial happening regarding the browser. Uh, happening. There's mm. also lawsuits regarding the app stores for 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 Google. There's a lawsuit against Meta potentially, you know, looking to break up um, WhatsApp and Instagram. Uh, and then there's also the whole ad tech ecosystem. There's a lawsuit right there. So I think those are really critical because unless you have competition, that people are not going to differentiate and look to invest in privacy, and we're going to have the same problems as well. So I do think that we actually have a comp competition problem, and it, it impacts Silicon Valley that they're not going to invest in these large markets, and they're going to be more speculative going after crypto and things of that nature, uh, which, are, which are highly risky as well. So I don't think yeah. that's good for our economy to have large monopolies. Man, I can't disagree. I, I thought there was one for Amazon Basics as well, a lawsuit that is. But that one in particular does really just grind my gears because it's just it's so obvious to see no matter who you are as a consumer, right? It's like, there, there, there is one that there was just yeah. one that was just announced as well. But the one that's going to trial right now is the regarding the browser, which is very similar to what happened with Internet Explorer and Microsoft that Netscape had 95% market share. Microsoft came out and said with Windows, oh, you have to use Internet Explorer. They told all the OEMs and then Netscape browser got killed. And so an Internet Explorer became 95%. And that was the last major uh, win by the DOJ and antitrust that they told Microsoft that they can't have this exclusionary deals. And that actually opened up the market for Google that when Internet Explorer could no longer be bundled. And we saw the same thing with AT&T. The breakup of AT&T led to the telecommunications revolution. So the interesting thing is I fundamentally believe that we could have more revolutions uh, happening in technology uh, if we're able and we can have improvements in privacy and cybersecurity and, and better AI uh, if we allow more competition because some mm. of these companies have just become too big um, to care. Viva la revolution, Tom Gravera. Yes, I love exactly. it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All right. <laughs> well, look, we got a couple minutes left. Let's um, let's let's take it into the last segment of the show here and have a little fun, would we? Okay, oh, yeah. let's do it. A little deep dark secrets from Tom. Deep dark secrets. So, Tom, Tom what's what's oh, one no. thing that you could tell the listeners that they might be surprised by, or a talent, or something that that it might be a little bit surprising that you do um outside of uh, your your normal day? 
you know, I there was a period of time in which I tried to be a high school softball coach. So after my company Centrify got acquired, I had always been coaching. And so the last paycheck that I've gotten was actually from a high school and I was their high school softball coach. And so in some sense, COVID happened and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore because things had shut down, uh, et cetera. But yeah, I was out there. I didn't have the gym whistle, uh, but I was out there, you know, hitting thousands of fly balls, uh, you know, to, to outfielders, uh, et cetera. So, uh, and, uh, I, I did one, I won one game as a, as a head coach at the high school level. So I won't tell you how many I lost, but I do have that one <laughs> win, uh, which I will always cherish. I, you know, even yeah. got the game ball right here. <laughs> That's awesome. It makes you feel any better that, that, that is a hundred percent more wins than either Cam or I have. Softball <laughs> true, coaches. Like, <laughs> That's very true. true. Yeah, so a failed f- softball coach, but so now now you really know, that's really the origin story. That's how I get to privacy after yeah. failing on the softball field. So <laughs> hey, that's that's hard in itself, especially with high schoolers. So um, oh yeah, what's your? I mean, since the pandemic and all that kind of stuff, maybe it's changed over the last couple of years. But what's your go-to comfort food? My go-to comfort food. Um, oh boy, you know I I, I love. I love Indian food um, and okay. I could literally eat Indian food every day. So, nice. and uh, so you like just, spicy? Uh, I like medium spicy. I don't like okay. super, super, super hot, but uh, I, I love, I love Indian food. So F- favorite Indian dish. I, we had it twice last week. So I'm with you on this. What's your favorite <laughs> dish? Um, I, well, you know, which is everyone's chicken tikka masala, right? But uh, I like a, like a boti sizzler, like a grilled chicken with like onions and green peppers. And nice. then you put a tamarind sauce and put, kind of wrap it in a naan and kind of have, make it a naan wrap. Ooh, okay. And then you get a great chai. Um, and if you have a nice cup of chai and you can sit there and then have your your naan boti wrap and then you have a, a cup of chai and then you're you're golden you're you know it's it's better than sitting in like a, a cafe in paris right you know it's it's better uh just because uh just the spices and the having recently it, it, returned from paris i couldn't uh, agree more cafes in paris have always been highly overrated though i will take your boti chai yeah <laughs> and yeah. plus one to that one <laughs> exactly all right awesome. what other what else you got for me so well um what, what's your guilty pleasure um tv show or movie this tells a lot about someone right oh boy, what are they, um oh geez I wish you told me ahead of time. Past, like, past or present. Past or past present. Or present. Oh. Yeah. Well, look, I I like Game of Thrones, right? That that was awesome. So that was that's, a good a, one. that's well past right there. But like the new ones that came out. Pleasure. Yeah, that was that was awesome. No, 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 none of those you know reality TV. But yeah. Oh, there was this Dairy Girls. Dude, that I hadn't watched. I know it. it. I know it. That <laughs> was freaking funny. That was like it. hysterical. It's, I just yes. loved it. Um, I, I don't know if it's on HBO or Hulu or whatever it is, but it is hysterical. I, I've Plus never laughed one. so hard. 
Plus so, one. Plus dairy one. I don't know if I've heard of that one. Dairy it takes girls. Oh, you gotta watch it. in Ireland. And yeah, it also, it's Northern it, Ireland during the Troubles, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, and it's it's just it's so funny. It was like yeah. it takes place in the eighties, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, totally, really good. It, it it adds a lot of beautiful historical context with real lives around it. I am not yeah. much of a television watcher at all, but good choice. <laughs> I would call that guilty pleasure. Yeah, that, a, that that was an awesome one. Yeah, so. that's, that's a good one. All right, last one here. Okay. Um, if you could switch lives with any celebrity for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, I think maybe like Tom Hanks, just because he's so universal. Everyone loves him, and he's universally loved. And uh, you know, and he's made some such amazing movies. You know, yeah. um, and uh, and he's also a comedian, and but he's he's well liked. And uh, plus, uh, you don't have lived- to change your first name. Exactly. There you have it. Right. You know, Easy. and uh, the, the funny thing is, is that he stays in summer in, on an island in Greece called Anteparos. And so, like, before the the pandemic, I, we my family visited a friend in Anteparos. And the like the big joke is like, we're going to run into Tom Hanks. He lives here, blah, 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 blah. So we're eating at a pizza place. And guess who's at the table next to us? Tom Hanks. There you have it. So I was within 10 feet of him. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Tom, appreciate you. I know we're at time here. We really, really appreciate yeah, this your has time. Been great. Yeah, seriously. Sure. Th- thank Bye. you for what you do and what you're, you're putting time into. It's, it's very like writing that book uh, for people to better understand. Um, we're going to definitely that's promote that for set. you when we put the show out. Um, so thank you so much to our listeners uh, for checking it in and thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate you. Uh Cam, Gabe, thank you so much for having me on and uh, uh, look forward to uh, seeing this posted. Awesome. Hey, you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out.